Good evening. Tonight, we want to begin a series for the next three weeks entitled, Things That Go Bump in the Church. And um, there, church can be scary. Uh, there are people in our community that do not go to church because they're afraid to go to church. And um, what I want us to be able to do in this series is to identify some of the things that maybe scare people about church and then, well, hopefully by at least identifying them, we know what they are and maybe we can make church less scary for them. Now, i tell you, I've uh, been a preacher for more than 30 years. I can attest to the fact that church buildings are scary. Um, you know, there are a lot of times when I'll come up to the building at, at nighttime to get a book or to get something or to do something and it'll be dark and, and you hear all these Noises. If you have never gone to a church building after hours at night by yourself, you need to do it. Uh, I, I'll, I'll bring you. I'll take you. Um, a number of years ago, I was coming to the building. It, it was about 8.30 at night, and Kim needed to run to the grocery store. And I said, well, just drop me off at the back of the building, and while you're shopping, I'm going to get a little work done. I opened the back door, and when I opened the back door of the building, I heard my office door close. I don't wait a second. And it was dark and she had already pulled off. I knew someone was in the office. So I just stood inside of the door and I didn't move for like five minutes, literally five minutes. I didn't move because I was listening and I never heard another thing. So I thought, well, it must have been just, you know, the vacuum of me opening the door, the outside door. It pulled my office door shut. And so I just kind of, you know, thought, all right, well, let's, let's be a big boy and go on to my office. And so I, I walked on up the stairs and went to my office and I pushed the door open. And I went in and I sat down and I, I turned on my computer and I was typing away. And then next thing I knew, my office door pushed closed. There was a man standing behind it, and he was in army fatigues, and he had a backpack. His beard started right under his eyes. That's what I, I remember. And and I looked up, you know, and he's between me and getting out. The door is shut, and he said, you know, there's been a lot of murders around here lately. <laughs> and I said, what do you need? And he said, I need some money. And so I just opened my wallet and, and he took whatever I had and I just hope we didn't have to wrestle before it was over with and he, he left. But uh, don't tell me church can't be scary. <laughs> it, it can be scary. And not only just the building itself, but what I want to talk about are things in the church, you know, the people what makes the church scary to outsiders? Not not the building, but the church. What what makes that scary to outsiders? I want to identify a few of those things with you. And then after identifying them, maybe make us more conscious of trying to alleviate those fears. Um, hopefully we can dispel some of those fears. 
I know one of the things that we often do is, you know, people, one of the things that holds them back is just coming to the building. And because, you know, that, that's a commitment and they're afraid because everything's new. They've never been here before. It's a new territory and, and it's kind of scary to go for the very first time. And if you can get a person to come in for the very first time and they see that went fairly normal, you know, nothing bad happened, they're more than likely, they more than likely will come back. But people have fears. There are blogs. There is a phobia that has been identified that has to do with a fear of churches, a fear of the church. And so let's let's start tonight. I want to deal with two things that make church scary for some people. And the first thing is this. People are afraid of church because they don't know our jargon and lingo. We might say, well, what? We don't, we don't have a jargon. Oh, yes, we do. We, we have a church talk that if you're not in the inside, if you're not in the know, then, then you don't know what we're talking about. And that unnerves people because they're not, well, have you ever stood around or, or been the third party or the outsider in an inside joke? You know, somebody will say something and they'll just laugh and laugh and you're saying, saying, what? Uh, what? I don't, I don't get it. What, what just happened here? And I'll say, oh, don't, it was just an inside joke. Well, you're the outsider. You're left out. And we have jargon and lingo sometimes that, that excludes those who aren't familiar with the church or as familiar with the church like we are. Many of you have grown up, as we say it, in the church. You've, you've been going to church all of your life. And you know what the words mean, and you know the lingo, and you can, you can throw it out there, but not everybody can. And it's really uncomfortable for people to be on the outside in a setting where you don't know what other people are talking about. A few years ago, Kim had a, um, well, it was some kind of a Christmas gathering among teachers at her school and all the teachers at her elementary school got together for a holiday party or something. And, and so we went to it and, and I wasn't looking forward to going, but she wanted to go and she was excited about introducing me and so forth. But here's what we did. We sat down at a table and we talked about, um, abbreviations. I, I don't, I can't even recall them to tell you what they were. Um, you know, that there's a code language among teachers and among special ed teachers. And, and there are certain uh, uh, names that various kinds of students have. And, and they talked about portfolios and, and uh, a certain kind of... And I sat there like totally on the outside. I didn't know what they were talking about. Well, if that's similar to what sometimes people experience when they go to church then that's probably not a very rewarding experience for them. So I think that's one of the things that people, because they have gone to church and they've found lingo is, you know, such, or the jargon is such that I'm not quite sure what's going on here. And so what I want us to do is just to identify, and and if you say, well, I still, I don't know. What what do you mean that we have our own uh, jargon? What do you mean we have our own lingo? Well, let me give you some examples. <clears throat> when, uh, well, th- this is just a, a very, this is the, really the very first time that I realized that there's some insider talk that takes place in the church. I was having a Bible study with a young lady in uh, Michigan a number of years ago. 
and we were having this study and so forth, and, and we were talking about saved and lost and so forth. And she looked at me at one point. She just stopped the study, and she said, can, can I ask you a question? And I said, sure. She said, you keep saying lost. What do you mean by that? Well, I thought everybody understood what it meant to be lost. I, 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 did, I couldn't even comprehend myself, not, somebody not understanding, saved, lost. But she didn't know. I've used that phrase all my life, but she was an outsider and she didn't get the concept. What was I talking about? Because she didn't feel lost. She knew right where she was. But when I had to explain that, it, it, it made me think, you know, not everybody is where I am. And so that's, that's what I want us to look at. Incorrect vocabulary is sometimes scary for outsiders. They come in, they don't want to say the wrong thing, and sometimes when they do say the wrong thing, we haven't been very gracious, and, and we've jumped on it. I've taught Bible classes. I know what I'm talking about. I've seen people be harsh with outsiders who didn't know or didn't say the right vocabulary. We get somebody to come to church, and maybe it's the first time they've ever come to church, and they may call me a pastor. Or they may call me reverend. And sometimes our rebukes and our correction, I know what they mean. But does that deserve a public rebuking? Does that deserve a If somebody says, you know, uh, pastor, do, do I need to, like, right then and there, talk to them about that? Say, wait a second, you don't understand. I'm not a pastor. You shouldn't use that terminology with me. Don't call me reverend. That, that's not a, a title. We don't wear titles around here. And, you know, I'm afraid sometimes that's what we've done in a not-so-gracious way. I remember a number of occasions, or a number of years ago, I was teaching a Bible class, and, and a man had just been baptized, and he had the courage to speak up the next Sunday in Bible class and try to answer a question. And he said something about when he joined the church last week. And I cringed because I knew what I thought, or I thought what might happen, it, it happened. You know, somebody said, hey, now listen, I don't know what you're talking about, but we don't join the church. The Lord adds us to the church. He had the vocabulary wrong. He didn't know what the man was even talking about. He was trying to answer a question. I knew what he meant, but he hadn't learned yet. And can that, when, when, I'm, when I'm walking around landmines that I don't know where they are, it's a little scary and, and when I use vocabulary that I don't know if that's correct or not, have you heard anybody corrected because they said the sanctuary instead of the auditorium? I've seen that happen. So that scares people when they may use something that isn't quite right and, and they get called out for it. There's another type of vocabulary and that's that church-only vocabulary. We sometimes use things and say things that we would never say in our ordinary everyday life, but we say it when we get in church. Uh, I, it, this is funny. An elder uh, from where I grew up, we ran out of uh, grape juice for the Lord's Supper, and that was his job to, to put that together on Saturday night. So he ran to the store, and uh, he was in a hurry, and he didn't want to go shopping for it. So he just went up to the, one of the ladies at the register and said, where do you keep the, the fruit of the vine? And she said, the fruit of the vine? What, what are you talking about? 
I mean, but that's what he, you know, he was in church context. You know, he's looking for the fruit of the vine. Grape juice. That's what we call it, you know, in the real world. But he called it the fruit of the vine. And and he got tickled about that. But we do that. Have you ever been providentially hindered, you know, outside of church? Do you do you ever talk about that? Uh, I've never heard anybody say, you know, we've been providentially hindered from going here or there. Uh, but we say it all the time in a church context. We, we talk about, um, listen, tomorrow morning, if any of your children have a test, before they leave, do you say, I hope you have a ready recollection of the things you studied. It, it, we don't do that. That's our church lingo. And so sometimes we use lingo that we're familiar with in the context of church, but we don't use it out in the world. And so, you know, it's like, okay, do I use that here or there? How do we, how do we do this? And then there are terms that we use that are just unfamiliar vocabulary. People will come and they've just never heard these things before. And well, why should they really? Because they're not like they can sit at home and pick up their Bible and read them either. They're words that we use that are helpful words. They're true words, but they're not... You you can't read them in the Bible, but they express biblical truths. Incarnation. We can talk about the incarnation of Jesus, and a person who hasn't gone to church, they're going to say, what? What, what are you talking about, the incarnation of Jesus? What's that mean? Wouldn't it be easier and communicate better if we just talked about Jesus taking on flesh? And we may talk about how that every book in the Bible is Christocentric, and, and, and somebody would be sitting there going, what? It's Christo what? It's Christocentric. What, what's that mean? When maybe we could communicate better if we would just say every book in the Bible is Christ-centered. There, there is a picture of Jesus somewhere. The thread of redemption runs through it. Wouldn't that make more sense maybe to one who didn't know? And we might talk about hermeneutics. Hermeneutics? I don't know what you're talking about. But might we resonate better with those who haven't ever attended church by just talking about the way we understand the Bible and interpret the Bible, that they understand. Hermeneutics, that's a a new word for them. Or we might talk about, you know, we need to be careful not to engage in eisegesis. We need to be exegetes. What? You know, do you see that? I mean, well, exegete, what, what if I just said, we need to make sure that we're not reading into the text, but we need to be pulling out of the text what is place there by God. That I understand. Exegesis, eisegesis, I'm not so sure of. And then there's um, the nature of the church. Tell me about the church of Christ. Well, we're independent and autonomous. Uh, Oh, okay. What's that mean? What's autonomous mean? Well, what if I just said that every congregation is self-governing? And that we're not governed or ruled by an overseeing board larger than the local congregation. That, that communicates much better to those who don't have uh, a knowledge. And we can go on, you know, we can talk about our singing. Well, we have, we, we engage in acapella music. 
you know, I, I'm tempted to do a Barney Fife right there, but I, I'll refrain myself. But, but uh, acapella, what, what does that mean? Um, you know, music without instruments. And, and the list can go on and on, vicarious and on down through the, the line. Liberalism, legalism, these are terms that we use and we communicate with each other using all of them. But to an outsider coming in and they hear this language that they've never been um, uh, you know, introduced to, it can be a little scary. They can feel a little out of place. It, it doesn't take me but about 30 seconds to zone out of a conversation when guys start talking about car motors, engines. I know nothing and when they start talking about all that kind of stuff, I'm just like, when's this conversation going to go to something like football or something? You know, I, I know that. But when it's on the cars, man, I am gone. I am lost. And, and I wonder if that's not how and why some people are afraid of church. Yeah, I, I've tried. I've gone. But they talk about things I don't even understand. I'm all for talking about and using the language that we talked about. I'm not trying to belittle any of it. But I think we need to be respectful of the setting and of those who hear us. Those words are sometimes better in in a situation than in other situations. Here's what I want to do in my preaching, and I think what we all want to do in our teaching, is I want to communicate the Word of God. I don't want to use buzzwords that show that I'm educated, that I, that I know more than maybe somebody else does. I, I want to communicate. And sometimes that may mean you talk about things in a more theological sense, but sometimes it just means being really practical and being easily understood by people that don't know a whole lot about Jesus and his word. In 1 Corinthians chapter 8, if you have your Bible, open it to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Because I think there, in chapter 8 and chapter 9, I want you to look at two verses with me that address this this fear. The first one is chapter 8, verse 1. He said, now concerning things offered to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. But knowledge puffs up, whereas love builds up. You see, there are things that we get. I know those big words. I can use them. I can even put them in sentences. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Is it our goal to demonstrate how much we know? Or is it our goal to communicate the Word of God to people? Turn in your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and look at what he said in verse 22. He, he said, uh, leading up to verse 22, he said, you know, to the Jews, I became a Jew. To the Gentiles, those who were without the law, I became as a Gentile. And, and here's the reason. And he said, to the weak, I became as weak, that I might win the weak. I've become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. You know what that means? That means there are settings when all of that language that we talked about is appropriate. And it also means that there are settings when it would be better to not use those words and to speak more simply. 
Because I want to do whatever I can to reach the lost. I think our language sometimes makes people afraid of church. And then the second point tonight that I want to share with you is that I think some people are afraid of church because they, they don't feel good enough. I see those folks going to church. Sometimes I'm sitting Sunday morning and I see them pile out of their house and they got their Sunday go to meeting clothes on and man, they look sharp and spiffy and they got their act together and they got those kids all cleaned up and they're in the car and the whole family goes off. Wow, that family just has everything together. Sure wish my family could get like that. I mean, yeah, I, I couldn't sit on the same pew as somebody like that. that people don't have any idea. You know, a number of years ago, we were teaching a a parenting class, and we were talking about, and we were going through various scenarios, and I made the statement, you know, here's a scenario, and I set it up, and I said, now, of course, none of us would ever be there, but uh, that's used for illustration purposes, and the lady raised her hand, and she said, that's precisely where we are. That is what we live. Not everybody has their life together. And when they look at us, they see people that look like they have everything put together. And so they're afraid to come be a part of us because they don't feel like they fit. They're not good enough. They can't live up to the moral standards that maybe you and your family live up to. They can't have their children behave the way your children behave. They... They can't interact with husband and wife as husband and wife the way those folks that go to church interact. Our marriage is on the rock and rocks and and theirs is so put together. No, I don't think I uh, can go to church because they're afraid. But listen, we need to let people know. And if we are so, you know, if we've got an act that says, I've got it all put together, we need to change that act. Now, I know that we need to live and try to be as best we can a disciple of Jesus, but disciples of Jesus make mistakes. And they understand sin. And when my my mindset and attitude is such that a person looks at me and says, oh no, I could never confess to him. I could never share this because he would never understand. If that's how we come off, we're doing something wrong. Because yes, we can understand. And to suggest that we can't is pretense. It's hypocrisy. Because I understand what it means to be tempted. I understand what it means to succumb to temptation. I do it. You do it. We all do it. I understand what it means to have family problems. We all do. And so what we need to do is be more maybe authentic with those who come, with those who see us. We don't need to be afraid to admit that I, too, am a sinner. Saved by the grace of God. The world needs to know that we're really no better than a lot of people in the world. But we're better off because we have Jesus. You see, 1 John chapter 1, if you look at, go ahead and turn there. Turn to 1 John chapter 1 and look at what he says in verse 8. 
If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. And he says, my little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He says, y'all are sinners. We're all sinners. If you say you're not, you're lying. We all sin. But here's the good news. And this is what, again, we're not any better than the world in that respect. We all fall under condemnation. None of us, by our own merits, is better than anybody else. There are no church people that are better than people in the world. But we are better off. Because we have an advocate, Jesus Christ, who stands before the Father and pleads our case. And God hears. That's the difference. The world needs to know that. They need to know we still struggle with sin. The Apostle Paul, one of the greatest men that ever walked the face of the earth in my judgment, endured more than anybody hardly that I know of in in terms of doing and working for the Lord. And he said, man, I am the chief of sinners That wasn't just self-deprecation. I think he really felt that way. I am the chief of sinners. People need to know that we are just like them, sinners. Struggling to overcome temptation, struggling to walk in the footsteps of Jesus, and not a one of us perfecting that walk yet. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 3 and verse 10, there is none righteous, no, not one. We're just like them in regard to that. And then Isaiah tells us in Isaiah chapter 64 and verse 6, that when we take the very best we do and give it to God, he said, it's like filthy rags. Your righteousness, the very best is filthy rags in the eyes of God. For we have all sinned, Romans 6.23, and fallen short of the glory of God. The world needs to know we struggle too. And if we don't communicate that message and share that message that I understand, and I'll tell you, one of the things that, and, and I've heard other people, outsiders, talk about this congregation. When somebody responds to the gospel, they don't respond alone. There are people there who say, I understand, and I love you, and we've all been there. That's the way it should be. That communicates to people that we're family. We love each other. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, again, as, as a man is guilty of sin, probably the same man in chapter 5 of 1 Corinthians who was having sexual relations with his father's wife. Paul says, all right, well, we've inflicted punishment. We've disciplined him. He's come back. So what are we going to do? He said, I'll tell you what to do. Verse 7, forgive him, comfort him. And verse 8, reaffirm your love to him. That's what people need to see in this body of believers. That will alleviate fears. Oh, you mean I can make mistakes and people will still love me? 
I can make mistakes and people will forgive me. I can make mistakes and they will reaffirm their love for me and not ostracize me. Yes. That kind of a context at church, that alleviates fears. There are things still that go bump in the church. Things that scare people away. But if we will be what God calls us to be, if we'll identify some of those scary sounds, we can alleviate the fears of others. Our house that I grew up in, I remember, you know, whenever somebody would come and stay all night when I was a kid or or when I had people from college, you know, traveling elsewhere, they would stay all night. We had one of those, um, our house was heated by those water running through the registers, you know, and and uh, it would it would radiate into the room and heat, but that would make noise. Yeah, and so in the middle of the night, like guys would go, "Whoa, whoa what's that?" And I didn't even know what they were talking about because I was so used to it. And I'd say, "Oh, all oh, that noise," because they thought somebody's sneaking up the stairs or something like that. And I'd say, "No, no, no, that that's just the the heater. Don't worry about it." And then you know you dispel the the, the fear and you can get a good night's sleep. We need to be about dispelling the fears that sometimes people have about church. And we can do that. And, and I've shared with you two ways tonight that we need to be mindful of our speech and, and the way we come off. Uh, let people be aware that we too struggle with sin. And let's speak in a way that helps people to understand and communicates the love of Christ. We're going to spend two more weeks talking about some things that uh, scare people about church. And again, some things that maybe we can do about it that will help them. But let me ask you this. I want to encourage you to surrender your life to God. And if you haven't done that, is it because you're afraid? Is there something keeping you back that you're afraid of and you haven't yet done it? And if that's the case, I just want to say this. Be strong and courageous don't be afraid. Give your life to God. Place your faith and trust in him. Turn from your sin. Be baptized in Jesus Christ, and God will forgive you, and you have an inheritance of heaven awaiting you. But it takes courage. The passage that was just read uh, just a little bit ago by Jeff in Revelation 21, verse 8, it says, you know, there will be people that are lost, and you know what they're, they're lost for? Because they were cowardly. They were fearful. See, they knew what they should do, but they were afraid, and they didn't do it. If you know tonight that you need to serve the Lord and give your life to him, I encourage you to do it. Don't be fearful. Um, Trust him. Be courageous, and he'll take care of you. And you'll have a church family to love you. If you're here tonight and you need to respond to the invitation, we invite you to come as we stand together and sing this song.